Well, the gospel really is great news of joy. We all love to hear good news, don't we? Perhaps you can think of a time in your own life where you heard some good news for yourself. Perhaps a newborn baby, your favorite AFL team winning their grand final, getting that positive ATAR score to get you into university, or that positive prognosis from the doctor. Good news. It's not what you thought it was. And the relief that follows. I think all of us need some good news at times, don't we? Our world is full of so much bad things that are happening. There is so much talk of war and the reality of war abroad at the moment. As Aussies, uh, cost of living is ever on our plates at this time. Many in our society struggle with mental health problems, anxiety and depression. There are many homes that struggle with domestic violence, many broken families, let alone the plethora of other daily struggles that you and I face, whether it's some sort of personal crisis or simply the daily grind of getting up yet again, slogging it out at work for another day. To a world that is full of trouble and bad news, the Christian message of the gospel really is news of great joy. And today, as tonight, as we consider uh, what does it mean for Jesus to be born, the birth of this child Jesus, and the, and the narrative in particular of these angels that come appearing to these shepherds, uh, we see that this marks a significant event in God's plan of redemption and salvation. Uh, from our culture's perspective, uh, the words that Jamie just read for us about these angels appearing to these shepherds, uh, I think most people have probably encountered it somewhere in our culture before. Maybe on a Christmas card or some Christmas decoration of these shepherds. Uh, in that sense, it's, it's a familiar story uh, probably to most of us, maybe not everyone. But I think it's good for us just to sit, sit back for a moment and ask ourselves, what do these words actually mean? What is this story actually about? What is the true significance of this child that was born? called Saviour, Christ and Lord. And what does it have to do with each of us here this evening? Uh, if today is the first time you've heard these words spoken, perhaps the first time you've ever been inside a church building, I can appreciate that uh, what you hear can may maybe be obscure at first. Maybe by the end of the service this evening you will get it for yourself and respond just like these shepherds do, with great joy. But if not, can I encourage you this evening to ponder over these things, to not forget what was said tonight, but to treasure them up in your heart, just like Mary did all those years ago, as was read. Mary continued to ask questions and tried to explore, and, and she eventually understood the full meaning of all these things. Maybe for you that means asking more questions. Maybe even reading the Gospel of Luke in its entirety for yourself. Tonight there are two things that I want to show from this story of these shepherds and these angels that appear to them that reveal uh, something about God's good news message to humanity. 
two things I wish to draw attention to you from this passage. Two significant things that the coming of Jesus means for all who believe in him. Uh, the first is this. The coming of Jesus brings the promise of heavenly peace for those who accept Christ. A peace that is not found in this world. Uh, the narrative speaks of these shepherds. Not many places today uh, have this occupation of being a shepherd. There are a few places still. Uh, but we can still relate to it easy enough. For there are plenty of farmers in this country who tend to animals and look after their cattle. Here these shepherds are in the dark of night, keeping their sheep from the danger of wild animals or perhaps theft or robbery. In the darkness of night suddenly comes this glorious light from heaven with the angel of God appearing to these shepherds with a message. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Soon this angel is joined by many other angels who cry out in praise, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, today in our secular culture, uh, many d discard the supernatural. Uh, but Luke here, the author of this Gospel of Luke, uh, portrays this scene as fact. I mean, can you picture that for a moment? These heavenly angels appearing in glory, surrounded with God's glory. What did these angels mean when they spoke of peace? What do you think of when I mention the word peace? What comes to your mind? Well, in biblical terms, peace most centrally has to do with being at peace with God. Although originally created sin sinless and living in complete harmony with God under his rule, the Bible shows that through Adam, humanity rebelled against our maker, against God, rejecting his lordship over our lives, choosing to live life at our own terms rather than on God's terms. The Bible calls this sin. One of the consequences of sin in the human soul is that humanity is now at war with God. All the troubles then that you and I face in this life are symptoms of this much deeper and more profound spiritual problem of indwelling sin. The coming of Jesus then marks the promise of peace for believers. Our experience of God's peace is intimately tied up with the mission of this child, Jesus born all those years ago, and our response to him. Why was the birth of this child so important? Well, because Jesus was both God and man. God the Son who came down from heaven and became incarnate as a human being. Taking humanity upon himself. Something Jesus had to do to secure salvation and peace for us. Why is this important? Well, firstly, by becoming a man, he could live that perfect, sinless life, that righteous life that you and I could not, living out God's law perfectly. For God, being a just and holy God, could not accept anything less 
Second, the birth of Jesus marked the beginning of his time of humiliation. Being God, he deserved only honour, praise and worship. And yet as a man, he walked a life of suffering. If you read the Gospels, he suffered. All culminating to his suffering on the cross where Jesus died. There Jesus humbled himself even unto death in order to love us and save us. For on the cross of Christ, Jesus became our perfect substitute. He swapped places, dying in the place of sinners, dying the death that you and I deserve. Bearing the weight of sin and experiencing the wrath of God so that all who believe in him won't. And so that you might experience genuine and satisfying peace with God. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean a freedom from all earthly troubles and all things that trouble us in this life. But it does mean the offer of spiritual peace in the midst of life's struggles. Jesus famously said in John 14, 27, a wonderful verse. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. I ask you this evening, are you searching for this kind of peace? Jesus genuinely offers his peace to you. The second thing from our passage that's, uh, that we learn about the gospel is this. Not only does this passage show us the promise of heavenly peace, but also that for believers in Jesus, it means the promise and reality of heavenly joy. Joy that comes from experiencing God's glorious presence. Having seen the angels and heard the message that they brought, these shepherds immediately head into Bethlehem, the city of David, where their eyes confirmed what was said to them by the angels. As predicted, they saw Jesus lying not in this fancy palace where you think a heavenly king might uh, be expected to be, but in a lowly manger. The servant king had indeed been born. Having shared this message with those present, uh, these shepherds returned to the darkness of night to where they came from. But they returned never to be the same again, for their hearts had been touched by heaven. Having experienced something of God's glory, they do what is most natural and fitting. They glorify and praise God. Uh, when you think about it, we all actually worship something. For we worship whatever we devote our lives to. What gains our highest affection and adoration? What gains your highest affection and adoration? Maybe again it is your favourite sports team that you adore and shower and praise uh, when they kick that winning goal. Maybe it's your child or partner who is just central to your life, who you find your identity in, and who, when you really think about it, rules your life in how much you are devoted to them. Maybe if you're honest with yourself, it's yourself who you worship, chasing life's pleasures, money, or fulfillment in the things in this world, doing whatever it takes to get that best experience you can out of life. The Bible says that we are made to worship 
honor and praise God above all else. I think from our culture's perspective, when we think of doing that, of praising God, uh, worshipping God in that sense may to some seem amusing or even a little bit repulsive. I mean, what kind of overbearing deity is he that would have us bow down in worship of him? Some might think today. And yet the scriptures paints a different picture for us. On the one hand, scripture shows us that not only is God actually the most glorious and beautiful being in existence, on the other hand, for those who believe in him and worship him from the heart, it brings the highest joy when we worship such a being. It is what is actually best for us. In other words, it would only be overbearing and vindictive of God to have us worship him if it wasn't actually for our good. But if God is the source of all good and indeed most glorious, and deep lasting joy can only be found in directing our praise to him, then worship of him is the most natural and fitting thing for the human soul to do. We all worship something. Why not worship the best thing? How do we experience this joy and peace? Well, the gospel calls all to respond to Jesus and his good news message. This response involves repentance and faith. What is repentance? Well, it's a heart recognition that you are a sinner and need to turn away from your life of sin that displeases God. Notice that it was kind of social outcasts, the shepherds, who in those days were a pretty lowly bunch in the eyes of that culture. But yet it was them, to them, who this good news came to. Joseph and Mary, the earthly parents of Jesus, were they themselves a pretty poor family. Jesus wasn't born in a palace. This outward poverty is not saying that we also necessarily need to be physically poor ourselves to come to Jesus. But it is teaching us that we need to become poor in spirit, in our soul, to find and experience salvation through Jesus. It means recognizing your need for the forgiveness of sins, recognizing that you need God and that your sins make you unworthy in God's sight, that you don't deserve his goodness, but actually deserve judgment because of sin. That is a message that our culture doesn't like to hear. And yet the gospel would be incomplete without that. Now I'm going to be up front with you this evening. If you are here today and uh, the gospel is new to you, or perhaps you know about it but have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm going to be up front with you. Uh, becoming a disciple of Jesus is costly. It's actually the most expensive thing you can do. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says we should count the cost of becoming a Christian. In Mark chapter 8, verse 35, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What did Jesus mean by these words? Well, he means that accepting Jesus as Savior means accepting him as Lord of your life as well. To live for him instead of for yourself. The paradox of Christianity is that that actually brings us 
greatest joy and peace. Becoming a Christian also means having faith in Jesus. Well, what is faith? Well, it means trusting and believing in your heart that on the cross, Jesus, and in Jesus' miraculous resurrection, on the third day, Jesus rose again to conquer sin. And through the indwelt Holy Spirit, he gives peace and joy to all his followers in this life. He gives us the forgiveness of sins, as well as the hope of eternal life beyond this life. Accepting the gospel then means seeing your need for forgiveness and then trusting in Jesus who so graciously and lovingly gives. As the late Timothy Keller said, concerning those who turn to Christ, cheer up, you're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. And in Christ, you're more loved than you ever dared hope. Will the greatest news of the planet be good news for you? Will you come to Jesus in faith and repentance? Let me just pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your uh, wonderful gospel. Thank you for Jesus who, uh, yeah, you came to seek and save the lost. Father, I pray that your spirit would work in us uh, this wonderful truth and this joy and peace that you promise all who follow you. And Father, if there is anyone amongst us here who is yet to trust in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that uh, by your spirit you would work in them and reveal yourself so graciously to them. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.